Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. Steve Walsh here. Hello. The World Cup is well underway. So much so that England, with their two South London right-backs and their Croydon manager, are already out. We're looking to jump on a bandwagon, but it's long gone, isn't it? England at a tournament, you've really got to get on that bandwagon early. <laughs> and don't get too comfortable. Don't pack a, you know, you're bringing a book to read, go for a novella. We've assembled our all-time South London eleven. Who knows how they would have fared in Brazil. We've got players that represent each of the South London clubs and whose origins stretch from Southwark all the way down to Mitcham. To commemorate the episode and celebrate the team, we've got a print to give away, drawn by Alice Devine of the Illustrated Game. You can see more of her work on alicedevine.co.uk and on theillustratedgame.tumblr.com. You may have heard me on their podcast. Check out the print on southlandhardcore.com and to enter the competition, you need to tweet a link to this episode and use the hashtag SLXI, so XL11, essentially, and we'll pick a winner at random at the end of the World Cup. So you've got till the end of the World Cup to tweet a link to the episode and hashtag SLXI, and you can win Alice Devine's all-time South London 11 print. You can follow us on Twitter at SLHC, I'm at Yids, and Steve at Vents Wales. Sometimes. Occasionally. Occasionally. Keep using the Amazon link and you can collect Saffron Hardcore badges. More information on saffronhardcore.com. An embarrassment of riches in goal, where we've got you know a couple of genuine legends of the game. And another one that I think is quite interesting as well. Yeah, the most hotly contested position, I'd say. In t- not necessarily in terms of numbers, but though the two, the most difficult to pick, should we say. Yeah, definitely. The choice really is between Peter Bonetti and Alex Stepney. Who's your third option, Steve? Alan Knight. Who's that? Born in Ballam, made 801 appearances for Portsmouth between 1978 and the year 2000. Played for him in all four divisions. No matter if they got relegated or promoted, they were like, do you know who should be in goal? Alan Knight. But we're in um, the first division. Doesn't matter. We'll just have Alan Knight in goal. We'll, have him get relegated. we'll keep Alan Knight. We're getting promoted. Keep Alan Knight. No matter what happens, Alan Knight's man. He's known as the legend. That's his nickname. That's his nickname. At, at Portsmouth, he is the legend. Yeah, I mean... What about that guy who has the blue dreadlocks? He's second legend. He's like, <laughs> uh, in case of emergency, he's got a little glass case. Yeah, 1978-2000. So, you know, spanning four decades... For all of the 19... 40 years. <laughs> you see, I said four decades to make it appear much more great. But, um, yeah, for all of the 1980s and all of the 1990s, Alan Knight was Portsmouth goalkeeper. That's remarkable, really, isn't it? Yeah. But more remarkable, Steve. We've got a World Cup winner. Peter Bonetti, born in Putney, won the World Cup in 1966, didn't play and didn't get his medal till 2009 when... Uh, the FA had badgered FIFA about giving non-playing squad members from previous years their medals, which is a nice touch, I think. Yeah, I think so. He played 729 times for Chelsea, which is the second most after Ron Harris, and uh, won the League Cup in 65, FA Cup in 70, and the Cup Winners' Cup in 71. I think his uh, record for Chelsea was the highest number of appearances for a goalkeeper until Alan Knight. <laughs> I'm just I'm making a case for Alan Knight. That's that's all. That's all I want to do. How many World Cups did Alan Knight win? Yeah, how we many, played in uh, as many as well, uh, I was going to say. How many World Cups did? <laughs> yeah, seven caps. So he was hardly a stalwart. But as we know at this point, it was uh, a pretty keenly contested. The cap position. versus the legend. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, we'll move on to Stepney in a minute. But Peter Benetti only got. Seven caps. Alex Stepney only got one, and that's because obviously Gordon Banks was knocking about, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Ron Springit, is that his name? Yeah, he was in the mix as well. Yeah, Ray Clements came along eventually. Peter Benetti, probably most, I don't want to say most famous for, because it sound. I don't want to do him a disservice. In the 1970 World Cup, England uh, had West Germany, and Gordon Banks got food poisoning. Peter Benetti came in and famously England were 2-0 up and uh, lost 3-2. 
Yeah, a lot of that's pinned on Benetti, which is unfair. I mean, he's he's at fault for one of the goals, but certainly isn't at fault for the performance. Largely, it's down to the fact that England team him up. And Alf Ramsey, you know, trying to be canny and it's reasonable in a tournament, withdraws Bobby Charlton from central midfield to rest him for the upcoming semi-final, as he thought. But all it does is release uh, Beckenbauer to just dominate the game entirely and, and turn the tides. And that's that's what great teams do at international level, isn't it? You know, you give them a little a moment or a bit of space and they move into it and dominate. He only conceded one goal in his other six games, Benny. He briefly played in the North American Soccer League, the NASL, for St. Louis Stars, where they won the Central Division, Steve. They played 22 games and they got 115 points. I mean, that's the thing about the Central Division. It was notorious for... Uh... <laughs> but jumping ahead to Stepney, right? He played in the NASL for the Dallas Tornado. They played 32 games and they got 157 points. I mean, that is remarkable. But if we're looking at goalkeepers that played in North America and indeed played in Dallas... Alan Knight. Alan Knight played for FC, <laughs> FC Dallas. I mean, you know, really? if this is our criteria... How many points did he get? Uh, how much did he get? Twice that. Yeah. yeah, six points for a win, one point for a shootout win. No points for a loss, obviously, and one point. No points for a loss. One point for each regulation goal, up to three per game. I mean, this is not the highest of his honours, but uh, Peter Benetti was included in the uh, 1975 All Star team, which Pele was also in. Up against Peter Benetti, we've got Alex Stepney, born in Mitcham, makes 433 appearances for Man United, only one England cap, but does win the league and the European Cup. Yeah, 1968, Man United, the first English team to win the European Cup. And he's kept him in the game. Have you seen the highlights? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Eusebio, uh, one point sort of hugs him, doesn't he? Because he's so impressed yeah, with his yeah. save. Played for two in a Mitchum. On the way up or on the way down? On the way up. Started at two in a Mitchum. He was in the reserves when they like famously got to the FA Cup first round in the 50s. And uh, he went to Millwall. He was at Chelsea. You know, he went to Chelsea to replace Bonetti. That's right, played one game. Well, no, it wasn't to replace. Um, the idea, I think, was to them to play alternate games. Uh, I think... Mm, no, I, I, I don't know, I might be... Well, I might no, there's a that. great interview on YouTube. Uh, it's like an hour and ten minutes of Neville Southall interviewing Alex Stepney. Right. And like Neville Southall's like, fascinated by like the training techniques and stuff and what they would eat. And like chips, <laughs> yeah, mostly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Pickled eggs, just all the kind of differences from even from ne- Neville Southall, who's just who you imagine just lived How like a fifties footballer. Hour ten minutes, right? And I imagine an hour and five minutes, just Neville Southall asking what he eats. <laughs> <laughs> then Neville Southall telling him what he eats. And Stepney says in the interview that um, what was the name of the? Is Tommy Doherty was yeah, the yeah. yeah, that he fell out with Peter Benetti, but. Obviously, that didn't last, and uh, Stepney ended up going to United and played 539 games for him. Yeah, he did have the third highest amount of appearances for United, then obviously Skulls, Neville and Giggs knocked him down to six. And seeing as you're a fan of kind of quirky trivia, Steve, in Christmas 1973, Alex Stepney was Man United's joint top goalscorer. They'd been relegated the year before, and he'd taken two penalties. And uh, Oh, no, that probably was the year they got relegated, actually, wasn't it? It was the year they got relegated. Yeah, he's still their highest scoring goalkeeper, which is not that surprising. Well, I don't know. I, I thought I thought Schmeichel would have two, but he only got one, didn't he? Only he only got one, yeah. Didn't yeah. he have one disallowed, actually, wrongly? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, how do you pick between Stepney and Bernetti? I think the way to do it is to go by... Goal scored. <laughs> That's traditional, isn't it? You, yeah. If everything's equal apart from that. No, I think Alf Ramsey... Peter more often. They both went to the 1970 World Cup. But yeah, Peter Benetti was... got the nod, you know. Stepney was always seen as the junior partner in the relationship. But I don't know, for me, Benetti's won more trophies in terms of an FA Cup, a League Cup and a Cup Winners' Cup. But Stepney's won a higher calibre of trophies with a League and a European Cup. Yeah, but I mean, Benetti's on the print now. <laughs> uh, uh... <laughs> At left back, number three is Kenny Whiteshorts, Kenny Sanson. 
from Camberwell like you, Steve. Like me. 314 appearances for Arsenal. Won a League Cup with them. But yeah, he left just before they... St- I mean, we'll come to Arsenal players that won the 89 and 91 league titles. But he left in 88, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Probably as well regarded for his time with England, though, where he was a mainstay for the national side for a long time. 86 caps, which was a record for a left-back until Ashley Cole surpassed him. And a reasonably long, illustrious career at Crystal Palace as well. Yeah, he... um. I made his debut for Crystal Palace while he was still at school as a 16-year-old. From the 1976-77 season all the way up to the 86-87 season, so that's 11 seasons, he was in the PFA Team of the Year every year. A left back. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Like the first year was the third division to PFA Team of the Year. The next two years it was the second division. But then eight in a row in the, the top flight team of the season. That's remarkable. Like... You know, there's some positions where we've got some competition. Yeah, yeah. But um, once you find Kenny Sampson, you stop looking for left-backs, yeah, don't you? Yeah, yeah. If we're looking at other options at left-back, contemporary Arsenal team, you've got Kieran Gibbs from Lambeth, who's made 89 appearances for Arsenal so far. Won the FA Cup, of course, very recently. Three caps for England, but not cemented the place. No, I mean, they say it's England's strongest position, don't they? Well, they said that a week ago. Now they say that it's the problem position, Leighton Baines, <laughs> isn't it? Left-sided uh... conundrum. Ryan Bertrand, I mean, is he more of a left-winger now? But uh, did not play left-back for Chelsea did, in the Champions yeah. League yeah. final. Right. As a teen, almost, was he? Well, he's from South London, but his career's not really been no, it's that not. impressive, has yeah. it? Another Chelsea fullback, Marvin Hinton from Norwood, a bit further back in time. Won the FA Cup and Cup Winners' Cup with Chelsea. Interesting player as well in that he is part of the 66 World Cup squad but has no caps for England. So he got called up, which is never called into action. Yeah, it's got to be... I wonder if he's the only player to have more World Cup medals than international caps. <laughs> At right back from Greenwich, Glenn Johnson. 141 appearances for Liverpool. That's his current team. And one he's probably... Most synonymous with now. The time at Chelsea. It was brief, wasn't it? Yeah. He's one of a number of players um, in this list who won the league title with Chelsea with barely playing. I think there's four players I've got who played for Chelsea, won the title, but... You never really think of them as... Yeah, you never look at them as players and sort of think of them as as title winners. Two League Cups as well, he's uh, secured. Yeah, he's been in... And FA Cup as well, of course. 2009... Goal of the season, PFA team of the season. That's his peak, isn't it, really? That goal against, um, yeah. who is it, Hull for Portsmouth. Yeah. Catches it on his uh, chest, is it, and just belts this half volley in this, into the top corner. At this kind of, he hits it really hard, but it goes on this kind of, as a dip. Oh, it's beautiful, man. What a great goal. He has scored a handful of belts, hasn't he? There's a couple of times this World Cup where it looked like the ball was going to fall to him kindly. And something magical could happen, but well, no, he got that. Um, the game against Uruguay, a couple of moments that summed him up, really. You know that um, for Rooney's goal, you know yeah. he burst into the box, didn't he? I mean, it was maybe the left back could have done better, but he did get past the left back, put it into the danger zone, and Rooney scored. And then up the other end, he's not concentrating or just not that good as a right back. You know, he's in our team, you know, but <laughs> and uh, you know England let a goal in. You know, I don't want to be so negative about it, but there are a couple of things. I mean, the, the toilet seat theft is, uh, has been blown out of proportion, in it? You know, it's funny. It is yeah. funny. And it's an exchange. It's not a theft. No, so. it's, it is. It, and, but the thing about <laughs> it is that even the explanation is laughable. Yeah. You know, the, the you know he was convicted, was he? But he got like a... On the spot fine. On the spot fine, yeah, yeah. for uh, stealing a toilet seat. But what it was, Ben May, who played for Millwall at the time, I think, was buying a bathroom. And they saw a better toilet seat. And didn't want to pay it. In the package, yeah, yeah, just shoved it underneath the uh, shower curtain or whatever. But what really put me off, Glenn Johnson, is when uh, Luis Suarez, you know, after racially abusing Patrice Evra and uh, the panel that were looking into it conclusively, saying that's what happened. He, I mean, the whole Liverpool team and the manager. 
wore Luis Suarez t-shirts in solidarity and uh, he also wore one I, I'm not sure if he was the only black player but I feel like he probably was actually it was, so it was particularly disappointing and I've never really forgiven him for that Steve yeah it was disappointing that the that someone ordered those t-shirts and then everyone put very odd just yeah. sort of chain of events I mean it was a, it was an odd time it was a time where you had Liverpool fans suddenly becoming, you know, international linguists. <laughs> Tell, you know, telling you very authoritatively what Uruguayans are likely to say in certain situations. And you're like, you, I don't know that. You don't know yeah. that. Also, it doesn't matter, does it? No, exactly. That, you know, in this situation, you don't say that. No real competition for this spot. I mean, we've got Chris Smalling from Greenwich. Yeah, I still remain hopeful that Chris Smalling will uh, snatch a place in this team. Well, he's early 20s. I mean, he's got a decade. He's won two league titles already. Yeah. So, you know, he's not had a terrible career I mean, by any stretch of imagination. No, he's, it's a bit of unfulfilled potential at the moment. And, you know, Paul from the Rankcast uh, was on our end-of-year episode talking about uh, the Man United South London contingent. And, you know, he still remains hopeful that uh, Chris Moore has got something to offer in, but in the centre of defence, really. And he needs to have maybe a run in the team. Maybe he needs to leave Manchester United. Although, you know what, Man United have just finished 7th, so maybe, and there are players in the centre of heart defence leaving. Maybe he'll get his job, maybe this season he'll get his chance and he'll have to take it. Um, but maybe he'll get in the South London 11 eventually, Steve. But what position will it be in? Not centre-half, though, because we seem to be more than adequately covered there. I don't know about that. I feel like if, if he can't get into this South London 11, then it would be a, it would be a disappointing career. At centre half. Okay. The man, he's no doubt learnt a lot from in the last couple of years. South London's most decorated, and in my opinion, I say my opinion loosely there, I mean it's clearly a fact, the best player from South London, Rio Ferdinand, won the Premier League six times, the FA Cup, the League Cup twice, been in the PFA Team of the Year six times, he was in the uh, World Eleven in 2008. The world's most expensive defender, or was twice two different two different transfers. He's won the Champions League as well. Have I said his name yet? Rio I Fernandes. think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come hailing from Peckham, from the Friary Estate. Three hundred and twelve appearances for Man United, which obviously now. Will remain I hope you're not just getting there. Wikipedia league appearances, Steve. Are you? I think I am. A yeah. little column on the right hand side. But yeah, most significantly at the moment, Rio Ferdinand, a free agent. Yeah, the last couple of years, not been as, uh, you know, there's been a decline, isn't there? Yeah, but... Up and down, you know what I mean? He's had a couple of mini renaissances, hasn't he? But it is time for him to leave Manchester United, I think that's obvious. But he, for over a decade, has just been a phenomenal footballer. He's a real barometer as well of how wise... Or knowledgeable people are, I think, and how how highly they rate Rio Ferdinand. Like some people who don't think he's all that. I mean, that, that says a lot more about them than it does about him. I mean, the complete defender, just not a weakness in his game. You know, at his peak, say up to maybe three years ago, if we're going to be like kind of quite harsh on him, just, just can read the game. You know, passes. Let's see, it's so comfortable on the ball. Yeah. It's not just a case of... Never gets in trouble. No, it? yeah. It's similar to Ledley King in that just make, makes it look easy. It's a bit of a cliche. I was watching Danny Dyer talking about Bobby Moore. And like, he was talking about Bobby Moore as if he used to watch him every week. <laughs> but, you know, he's like, made the game look easy. That kind of business. But he did. You know, it's, it's the difference between someone like him and John, your John Terry category of defender yeah. where they're... Uh... Yeah, people give John Terry a lot of credit for like bits where he's lying on the floor and he's heading the ball away mm. as if a defender a centre-half ends up lying on his belly has done the right thing up to that point you know you never saw Franco Baresi on the goal line heading the ball away while lying prone on the floor because he never gets himself <laughs> into that situation he's dealt with it 10 yards uh, Kenny White and... shorts isn't it yeah exactly don't, this is don't the thing don't be getting dirty yeah Greenwich is probably the most represented borough in South London in our 11 and our uh, selections generally. Stephen Taylor, 195 games for Newcastle. But, I mean, yeah. he's not. I've never been a huge fan of his work. No. You know, his acting, obviously. <laughs> and, of course, Rio's brother, Anton. 
also from Peckham. Scott, Stu- the, Scott the best guy in West Ham's history, didn't he? Yeah, one of them. Chested uh, the ball outside the box, span 180 and volleyed it in. <laughs> it's just such a great guy. It's midweek, wasn't it, so you don't see it as much. Checkered career since then, bit of a journeyman. Um, yeah. Do you know where he is at the moment? QPR, Sunderland? No, he's just signed for uh, a Thai football team, Police United. I have heard of that team, yeah, right? Yeah, owned by... Uh, the Thai Police? Yeah. That's a big bag of wrong, isn't it? <laughs> Frank Sinclair, who uh, played for Chelsea, scored uh, own goals in back-to-back games, didn't he, famously? Memorably, I should say. Won the FA Cup and the League Cup with him. And played three games for Jamaica at the World Cup in uh, 1998. So our choice alongside Rio Ferdinand might be seen as controversial, but I think it might be my favourite pick of the whole 11. Yeah. We've established that Rio Ferdinand is an exceptional player. One of the greatest defenders of all time, I often say. And people sometimes ridicule me. But they're wrong. They're incorrect. So, he could play alongside anyone. And he will be playing alongside Keith Stevens from Merton. Rhino. Millwall legend. A one-club man. Which, you know, something I've got huge affection for. Yeah, debut at 16. And uh, played 19 years at the club. How many games? Uh, 550 plus. I've never seen him play. He was part of the team that won promotion to the first division and topped the division in October. Was that 88? I've got a signed programme from that team when they played Arsenal. And uh, my dad managed to get all the Millwall players to sign it and all the Arsenal players to sign it. Wow. Lived out the um, Millwall fans' dream, hasn't he, basically? Debut for the club at 16, play for 19 years, and then emigrate to Australia. <laughs> I think he didn't he manage them for a short he time. He did manage well. them for a couple of so years. So, like everything that you could ever hope to do at Millwall, wasn't it? Harshly sacked, according to uh, Dave White, a very Hill Publishing Millwall fan, who I asked for some guidance. Well, wasn't the, the I think the, the popular theory is that he gets sacked and Billy Bonds gets the team promoted with the team that Rhino built? Yeah, Mark McGee did, yeah. So the only player in our eleven that doesn't have any international caps and we've foregone players that do have international caps. Rio Ferdinand made John Terry look good and he, like Rhino, is a wild animal. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible, wasn't it? So clumsy, man. <laughs> no, I love that. It's great. On the left of midfield, from Dulwich, Trevor Sinclair. Bit of a journeyman himself, played for a number of London clubs. Keep... Most appearances for West Ham. Most? Yeah. Oh, his most, right? Yeah, right, sorry, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and played for City for a long time as well, actually. Did yeah, well. yeah. And uh, QPR. Most memorable career moment by... Uh... Well, he played at the 2002 World Cup for England, but most memorably scored an overhead kick against Barnsley in FA Cup. Tremendous goal. He's got his back to goal, the ball's moving... He's moving. Yeah, it's just done. it looks impossible. And when he starts the move, you're trying to work out what's going to happen, and then he just sort of flings himself into the air, connects, and it goes screaming into the net. Tremendous. tremendous. Yeah, one of the most emphatic overhead kicks you'll ever see. Just put it into YouTube if you haven't seen it, if you're too little to remember. Like at the 2002 World Cup, he is filling a problem left side position, I think. Yeah, not a great deal of options for us there. You know, it was a workmanlike team, wasn't it, in 2 You know, Nicky Bart, Danny Mills, not the most thrilling. On the right of midfield, wearing number seven from Lewisham, David Rowcastle. Died in 2001 in his 30s. 14 caps for England. Undefeated. Won a couple of league titles and a league cup. Yeah, he was at Arsenal from 85 to 92 and they won the league in 89 and 91. Uh, more on the 89 win shortly. But um, yeah, he's scored some great goals. Have you ever seen the goal against Middlesbrough? Where he just, cuts, he just weaves through them 
and then just curls the shot onto the inside of the post. Really, really great goal. Good goal. Uh, scored it in the uh, Littlewoods Cup semi-final against Tottenham as well. Winning goal, 987. Had a mixed start at Arsenal. Came in and looked promising, but wasn't the best striker of the ball, wasn't really passing. But he, you know, had a lot of good technique, but people were worried about his actual general play. And they tested his eyesight and found out that he was uh, profoundly short-sighted. Got in contact lenses and he immediately became twice the player he was because he could actually see where the goal was playing for and where his teammates were on the pitch. Which is an odd thing not to have been spotted outside of professional football. Maybe he just thought it was normal for everything to be blurred. At the base of the midfield, Scott Parker from Camberwell. Well, Scott Parker went to school in Camberwell and New Cross. Not sure exactly where he's from. One of those ones that says Lambeth, but it's just a but it's a big borough, isn't it? <laughs> Another one of our um, Chelsea League winners that you don't necessarily think of as Chelsea League winners. Has also won the League Cup. It's an interesting career, isn't it? He comes to the public's attention doing kick-ups in a McDonald's advert. And is sort of known as a young player to to have some flair about him. But then, I don't know, I'll, I'll say quickly, I can't remember exactly when, but becomes like the epitome of the battling tenacious midfielder, doesn't he? Yeah, at Charlton, just becomes a sort of... While he was still at Charlton, was it? Yeah, I think he's seen as quite a sort of, quite a gritty player. But that becomes becomes what he's known for much more mm. at successive clubs. Doesn't really take at Chelsea, but... No, it's a bit of a slow... Yeah. Well, he's I mean, yeah, the real, his late career flourish is a, gives me real pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, West Ham, you just see him... You know, one of my favourite memories of him at West Ham is just doing a diving header on the halfway line to try and get a ball off an opposition player. just having foot. a go at, uh, at John Terry for... No, but John Terry, John Terry finds himself in a position and tries to improvise, whereas Scott Parker's like, I'll put myself in yeah. a... And, but the thing is, doesn't end up lying on the floor, does the diving header, gets up and carries on playing. You know I mean, he's not... He's, he's taking advantage of it. But just, like, no thought about putting his head on the end of someone's boot. Ridiculous. He won double player of the year, you know, footballers, uh, players player of the year and the writers player of the year at West Ham, wasn't it? And then uh, got his big move in it to Tottenham Hotspur. Got a move, I mean. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't really feel like we needed him particularly. I mean, obviously Sandro had another injury and, uh, you know, he came into the team and he just, he, he gave, we didn't have, really have a leader before that. And he gave us this leadership we were sorely lacking on the pitch. I mean, even like, I, I can't remember, was Lady King playing much at that point? Was he in and out of the team? But he, anyway, Lady King is a, is a very different type of leader. He just dr- gave us this drive. And in, in the 2011-12 season, it's the best I've ever seen Tottenham play up till Jan- the end of January. Like from August to January, we were brilliant. And then, you know... Harry Redknapp went on trial. He got linked to the England job, and we didn't, you know, we didn't improve the team. And it kind of, we kind of had a bit of a collapse, and then ended up finishing. We were ten points above Arsenal, ended up finishing below. That's another story for another day. I mean, you failed to sign a striker in January, which is, uh, you know, a, a tradition. As well, it is it? a tradition, yeah. But no, Scott Parker in those those uh, five months or whatever it was that we were brilliant. The, he was like the driving force in midfield. He was just, he was great. And he did tail off and he was only at Tottenham for two years. He had a great first season. And then the second season, you know, he just was just seemed to be off the pace the whole time. Probably starting from the um, Euro 2012. Wasn't he carrying injuries at that point? Yeah, I mean, he's the type of player that plays through injuries, isn't he? But he just, he just didn't seem to be able to, you know, some players just seem to age rapidly, just like suddenly they're just over the hill and it seemed like that I don't really know how well he's played at Fulham to be honest in the last couple of seasons but they've been haunted by relegation so <laughs> yeah it's but yeah that that's good. probably not him entirely still made most of his appearances for Charlton which is nice keeping the South London link intact captain you reckon 
Yeah, give them the armbands too. Yeah, I, I like central midfielders as well as captains. And you're saying at the base, so ahead of him. Yeah, Laurie Sanchez scored the winning goal in the 1988 FA Cup final. Probably the most famous upset in FA Cup history. Also from Broadley, Lambeth, with Ecuadorian and uh, Northern Irish parents. Played for Northern Ireland. Apparently was awarded the first ever red card for a professional foul. Which is a nice sort of tribute to have. Yeah, and the Football League trophy. Is that the Johnson Paint trophy now? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. I don't really think of him as a especially dirty player. Especially in the context of, like, the crazy game. You know, <laughs> Vinnie Jones. <laughs> yeah, you play the last Vinnie Jones, you can get away with, uh, not murder, but certainly uh, GBH. Two years before the FA Cup final goal, he scored the goal that won Wimbledon promotion to the top flight. Yeah, uh, spent obviously most of his career at Wimbledon and is a club legend, you know, for scoring the winning goal in the FA Cup final. I was only five in 1988, so I don't remember any FA Cups until 1990, and, you know, which we will get on to, obviously. But I, I, did, I mean, it's a huge upset, but Wimbledon finished seventh that year. And it's six places below Liverpool. Yeah, it's seen as this sort of act of giant killing, but they were in the same division. Yeah, I mean, it's not Wigan, like... Wigan finished, uh, well, they finished when they beat Man City. Yeah, West Ham 1980 in the second division. Yeah. So, yeah, so another interesting stat in the course of my research, Steve, that in 1966, West Ham finished 12th. <laughs> Did yeah, you know but, that? Yeah, but also won the World Cup, so... Uh... Yeah, right. You know, like this, this famous West Ham team of the 60s, uh, they once finished as high as 8th. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the West Ham way. The West Ham way. <laughs> One of the closest um, contenders for the midfield that didn't make it is Peter Braybrook, who played for West Ham from 62 to 68 and uh, crossed the ball for the winning goal in the 64 FA Cup final. Also played uh, 271 times for Chelsea, and uh, including three appearances in the when they won the 54, the league in 54, joining that exclusive club of uh, South London Chelsea league winners with uh, <laughs> barely enough appearances to get a trophy, a medal. Three England caps as well. Yeah, made his debut in the 1958 World Cup against Russia, uh, which England lost one nil. Although he says I had a decent game. I think he's, uh, as a West Ham fan, I would have thought you would have been banging the drum for him, Steve. Well, You'd rather represent... Uh, well, no, he's a right winger, isn't he? And he's been... Rocky Rowcastle won a couple of titles. So. Well, also, I know it's not a role we've discussed, but if we can have a sort of developmental training officer or coach, you know, his work at West Ham later on as part of the academy set-up sees... Frank Lampard, Joe Cole and Michael Carrick come through in quite a quick succession. So Not Rio Ferdinand. Um, well, I think he's he's credited with the development of those midfielders. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, he's seen as like, you know, the, the, the coach who helps to develop those particular players. And that's not a bad crop to bring through, Lampard, Cole and Carrick. Peter Braybrook played three times for Chelsea in the 54 season when they won their only league title, unless you count the Abramovich once. <laughs> It's like uh, Frank Sinclair in old Chelsea. This is this is what Chelsea Tarnished used to be. Forever. <laughs> Sean Wright Phillips, Chelsea. Yeah. Doesn't make the team though, does he? No. Some some highs in his career. You yeah. Know, one load of stuff, I imagine. Two FA Cups, a league uh, cup as well. Thirty six caps for England, but not you know not displacing anyone in R eleven. I don't think. No, no. I mean, he's behind Braybrook and Rowcastle certainly. Yeah. Bradley Wright Phillips, even less likely to make our eleven. But again, you know, where is he now? He's uh, currently at the New York Red Bulls, playing alongside Thierry Henry, and I think scoring more goals than him at the moment as well. Which is well, they uh, have strap partnership. Yeah, that's who they got up front: Thierry Henry and Bradley Wright Phillips. A player I don't remember, Steve, but on paper looks like. You know, if we were kind of not being so sentimental about Wimbledon, we might even squeeze him in. Paul Davis from Dulwich, 
who played 447 times for Arsenal, won the 89 and 91 league titles, and also punched Glenn Cockrell in the face and broke his jaw and got a nine-match ban. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember this happening. Not particularly vividly, but it was just such an extraordinary... Th- of course it was, do you know what I mean? Did that the punch heard around the world? Yeah, yeah. Like nine-match bans. Uh, yeah, it's unheard of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. A bit of a Vieira-type player? Yeah, I always think, remember him being quite slightly built. So you don't really think of him as sort of like a midfield... Or maybe not a Vieira-type player. I just was going yeah, by what no. someone said in a video on YouTube. But this is the thing, I think he was... Uh... They said he was like Vieira and Makaleli. And I can't yeah. ignore the fact that those players are not that similar. Well, this is the thing, I think, <laughs> I think he, he was a bit of an enforcer, but with a silky touch as well. So it was a sort of, a bit of a stopper, but someone that could keep the ball uh, circulating as well. I mean, if we were going to play uh, a midfield three, we could conceivably have three centrist midfielders who played for Arsenal and are born in South London with David Rocastle, Paul Davis, and Michael Thomas. Yeah, this uh, 89, 88-89 is a bit of a monumental season, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, huge. And uh, it ended with Arsenal. I mean, you know, it sounds made up, doesn't it? It's the greatest end to a league campaign ever. Yeah, Arsenal. Oh, you tell it, Steve, because I don't want to. I mean, I've, you know, if there are any Tottenham fans listening, you yeah, know, they sorry, will. I would have brought a few with me, I imagine. <laughs> I don't want to be going on, you know. Yeah, Arsenal and Liverpool end up playing each other on last game of the season. They're the only two teams that can win the championship. It becomes a cup final, winner takes all. And Michael Thomas scores the winning goal for Arsenal. That gives them the league title. Yeah, they have to win two nil. Yeah, by two goals. By, by two clear goals. Yeah, and they're winning one nil, which isn't enough. And then Thomas steps up, and seals it. Incredible celebration, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He, it's like he does like it's like a body pop, isn't it? Like he goes, he <laughs> dives on the floor, but then he just like flops his whole body up. Yeah, yeah. Pivoted on his neck. <laughs> pretty special. Scores the winning goal in the FA Cup final as well in 1992 for Liverpool. So, you oh, know, yeah, right, right. crosses the lines. Could have mentioned that Paul, uh, Paul Davis won the 93 cup double with Arsenal as well. You know, these are these are players with medals, Steve. Do you know Quite what? a deep squad, isn't it? I mean, if we were yeah, going to Brazil, 23-man yeah. squad. You know, I didn't realise we had a goal, a third goalie in Alan Knight. But it's looking decent, isn't it? Get out of a group of death, maybe. Do you know what Michael Thomas is up to now? Um... He's doing those language tapes, isn't he? <laughs> he runs a security service, um, an elite security service. Have I got to guess the name? Is it called like Gunners Security or something? You c- you can guess the name. It Spirit is, of eighty nine. It's a remarkable name. I don't know if you'll guess the name. Give me a if clue. you were naming if you're you're right. Let's let's role play this. Yeah. You are Michael Thomas. You are now running an they elite. Think it's all over. Yeah, it is yeah. now, yeah, running, yeah. An elite security service. In your own words, we look after like presidents and that. Um, that's your branding. That's that's your market. That's what you're aiming for. You want presidents and kings to come to you for security. So you call your security service. Like regal security. Stop taking the Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know how much business he's getting, but uh, <laughs> I, I want to see a logo. You know, what's your? Uh... I want to do a logo. <laughs> what, do, what do your letterheaders look like? As is traditional in a fantasy eleven, Steve. You play four four two, don't you? Yeah. I mean, you do get some people who go a bit silly, and they've got like Cruyff in holding midfield. Yeah. We're not going to do just that. just to accommodate. But... I mean, my you know, I was putting the team together, and I was like, "Are we playing unconch?" I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing unconch. <laughs> Up front, leading the line, number nine, Ian Wright from Woolwich, went on to be the uh, record goal scorer for the Woolwich Arsenal, beating Cliff Baston's 51-year-old record, obviously since taken over by Terry Henry, but one of the all-time great stories and one of the great strikers. A legendary figure at Arsenal, but still... Fondly remembered at Crystal Palace as well, where he made his name and scored 
a ton of goals in a very successful period for them. Yeah, I mean, he was named their player of the century. I imagine uh, Kenny couldn't have been far off. Yeah, the 1990 FA Cup final did capture the imagination of Crystal Palace fans and the surrounding areas. I was at school at St. Joseph's College on Beulah Hill, which is a 10-minute walk from Sellers Park. And the school got a bit involved, you know. Not a school that would really have that many connections to Crystal Palace. Apart from the fact that a lot of the kids who went there did support them. Still, you know, a lot of Liverpool fans as well, for no reason other than the fact they tended to win a lot of things. But yeah, we had. I remember we had like a, a glad all over Crystal Palace scarf pinned up in the school office, which, you know, don't remember seeing before and certainly came down pretty soon after. But yeah, it was just something that people seemed to get particularly excited about and with good reason it's the first FA Cup final I remember watching the second one was obviously uh, Tottenham's glorious uh, win over Forest the pastor at the church I went to was a Palace fan and uh, Dave uh, my friend Tim's dad uh, is a deacon he was a Man United fan so it was quite uh, I mean there was a lot of tension <laughs> in the elders and deacons meeting <laughs> yeah Palace were a couple goes down and uh, Ian Wright came on and scored two and eventually ended up 3 all. and Man United went on won the replay and it was Ferguson's first trophy wasn't it? Yeah and the one that sort of starts the dynasty I mean there's a lot of talk now if Ferguson hadn't won the FA Cup would he have stayed in the job? He's from the same estate as David Rocastle um, in Honor Oak, they grew up on the same estate, and uh, like he was thrilled when they put Arsenal with him, you know. And whenever you see him right talking about Rokos, he always ends up in tears, you know, understandably. But he had quite a rough childhood. I mean, there was a show on um, a documentary on ITV a few months ago about I think it was Nothing to Something. This documentary series is a great one uh, on Danny Dyer on YouTube. It's just his piano music, and he's just talking over it, going talking about his life it's so funny but yeah so Ian Wright he had this kind of rough childhood you know didn't really see his dad his stepdad was terrible you know played for various teams you know working in like just doing manual work yeah he was a labourer wasn't he yeah yeah had trials here and there eventually he was playing for Greenwich Borough when he was spotted by Palace Scouts and he went to Palace at 21 him scoring those two goals in the FA Cup final is is an amazing story but for then for him to go on, he went to Arsenal two months before he turned 28. <laughs> right? Arsenal, what, what, second or third most successful team in uh, English football history? Third. Uh, at that point, I mean. Right, okay. Delicious. Oh, whatever, second or yeah, yeah. Top four, sorry. Yeah, Top yeah. four. So he goes there at uh, almost 28 and he breaks their goal-scoring record, which is just, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? He goes there, they win... Um, Wins the league there, the double, in fact. Uh, another FA Cup, the League Cup, Cup Winners' Cup, suspended for the finals by scoring in every round. And uh, wins the Golden Boot as well. Plays for England uh, a number of times. Always seems, never seems bitter about not playing enough for England. Seems to, I guess because of his humble origins, you know, he's just grateful to have, you know, I suppose that's why he, play, he has so much joy when he plays is because he kind of knows that it was all so close to just not happening at all like when he talks in that documentary I think it's still probably on the ITV player still like they wanted him at, Pal- at Palace and he was just like sick of it he had like a young son and like he was sort of they were offering him this, this contract and he's like I don't really want to have a, I don't want to be here for three months and then I'm out and I have to go looking for a job again I'm doing alright with the uh, whatever factory he was in and kind of talked them into giving it, not not even intentionally, but talked them into giving him a better contract. And then the next thing you know, you know, he's just like one of the, in terms of personality as well, one of the biggest figures in uh, in the history of English football. You know, yeah, just genuinely love playing for England. Didn't they? And that's the thing where, you know, you see players who seem to see it as a bit of a a burden. Sometimes something's getting in the way. Yeah, I can't. You know, like Wayne Rooney. You know the way yeah. he sort of moans, like at the last World Cup when he 
it was absolutely disgraceful performance. I don't use that word lightly. Against Algeria, it's just one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a player, especially of that ability. And uh, he's like, eh, eh, home fans booing you. Like at the end yeah, of the camera. Yeah. Just like, oh, it's these uh, fans that have uh, travelled, you know, spent hundreds of pounds getting, coming here to watch you in another continent. It's their fault that you're so useless. Oh, I can't imagine Ian Wright going to a World Cup and giving anything but his, his best and, and playing well. And you've got, you got a similar story where, you know, talking of this World Cup, you know, all the talk with Cameroon beforehand where there was, you know, huge schisms in the dressing room and arguments with the management over win bonuses. You know, the players wanted £120,000 per man for a World Cup win. They, they've got to understand that's not, you yeah. know, A, that's not viable, and B, that's not really, I know, you know, football... Is well, I mean, when you've got with money, yeah, but you've got Samuel Eto who's earned at a certain point 300 grand a week, yeah. It's a shame he didn't have more of a international career left at home, despite being the top scorer in the league by uh, your man Graham Taylor. You know, did qualify for 94, scored four goals, didn't he, in the final qualifying game against San Marino, and uh, not sure about 96, obviously, Shearer and Sheridan were brilliant. 98 had a hamstring injury would have gone, I think. But it's interesting. Well, I mean, you can see it as a shortened career because of his late discovery and mm. development and move to Arsenal. But then that's possibly what fueled him as well. You know, right. the, the gave him the intensity to his game where he's like, I'm not hanging around here. I haven't got time to be messing around. I just need to score all these goals as quickly as possible. I haven't got another five years to be uh, stacking them up. Final slot. We've got an outside right, um, which was a position in the 20s. <laughs> and uh, I was going to say it's not now, but it sort of more is than it was five, yeah, ten years ago, isn't yeah. it? So Edgar Cale from Dulwich, from Dulwich Hamlet, the last non-league footballer to play for England. How many goals did he score for Dulwich Hamlet? 427, I think. So you can stick him up front. It's not going to be a problem. Be, the ball's not going to roll into him. Like, I'm an inside right, I don't know what I'm doing here. In 1929, he played for England. Uh, he played three games in six days. And he scored two goals on his debut against France. And as I said, last uh, non-league footballers played for England. It's a time when the professional game exists, but not to the level that we think of today. So the blurring between the amateur and professional game isn't, is quite marked. So the chances of non-league players turning out for England... Not unheard of. There's a, a Dulwich goalkeeper around the same time. Yeah, exactly the same time. Oh, yeah, there you go. And another, another outfield player. You know, very little footage exists. There are, there is some actually. It's quite a thrill to see that British Pafe stuff turn up. Of I think it's the France game. It also played against Spain, and there's another kind of major Russia. Was, was it? Yeah. So you can see a little bit of footage of Edgar Kale. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a road named after him now in, uh, uh, Cham- on Champion Hill, where the stadium is. It's the stadium address now. Southwark Council, we're going to call it Sports Street. Uh, but, I mean, uh, you know, government has a role in society, but it should never be naming streets. If that's what you're coming up with, what's this street for? It's where we keep sports. Call it Sports <laughs> Street. No famous sports from Danny? Maybe. We're not going to invest Football Street, is that better? Shut up. <laughs> uh, also, a blue plaque up as well. Not enough to have the street named after him. He's got a blue plaque up on the side of um, of the ground. A player that's never been forgotten at Dulwich. They sing songs about him now, didn't they? I mean, yeah. You know. I mean, when I was growing up, we had a framed uh, photo of Edgar Kale in the front room, and uh, my dad had an Edgar Kale T-shirt that he wore all the time. And you know, speaking of the blue plaque. Um, it went to a public vote, as these things did at the time of Southwark. Probably still do. And uh, there were a number of people on the list, and Edgar Cale uh, got more votes than William Blake and uh, George Orwell. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe part of the reason is because my dad was handing out pre-filled in voting forms to uh, 14-year-olds at the youth club at church. But, you know. I mean, and you know, they don't like George Orwell, famously. <laughs> they They're prefer like... football. Yeah. There are a couple of strikers that 
would no doubt score some goals for us, Steve. Darren Bent um, scored hundreds, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, Kevin Campbell was quite prolific as well, Ian Wright's partner for a while. What do you reckon Kevin Campbell's up to now, work-wise? Well, he had the uh, record, two wicked records, didn't he, with uh, signed Mark Morrison and then got embroiled in a legal battle with him. Yeah, he's left all that behind. Because... Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he's moved into uh, the area of personal security. Has he? Of course he has. He's a former Arsenal player from South London. Are you, are you taking the Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's gone for T1 protection. I don't know what that means. No. It's a better name than, uh, you know, stop taking the Michael. I think that, but Campbell and uh, Bent will both agree that they're not getting ahead of Kale and Ryan, are they? Rod Wallace could have a oh, shout. Oh, the Wallace boys. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Wallaces generally. Well, Rod Wallace, you could argue after Anton Ferdinand, the second greatest goal the South London has ever scored, yeah. you know, goal of the season against Tottenham. Just runs the length of the pitch, then he almost goes off, doesn't it? But it doesn't. <laughs> oh, Rod Wallace. Wins a league with Leeds. Oh, yeah. Comes out of uh, Southampton's side where he's playing alongside Alan Shearer with Matt LeCissier supplying the ball behind him. Mean, that's not a bad strike force, is it? I mean, you know, a lot of goals in his career, but went to Scotland. So it skews everything. It's just an asterisk <laughs> next to your name, isn't it? It's like I won the league, then I won the double, then a treble, then just a league. Then a, do you know what I mean? It's just sort of like that's how you count it in there, isn't it? How many trophies did you win this season? Not, you know, how many trophies you won. Is it a double or a treble? Yeah, his brother Danny Wallace plays for Southampton and gets a move to Man United. He's a winger, though. So, the emergence of uh, Lee Sharp. Well, well, yeah, Lee Sharp and Ryan Giggs sort of forces him out of the team. Ends up at Stoke and he's Stoke's player of the year in uh, 1995. It's alright, but it's not, you know, Man United, is it? No, it's not Dulwich Hamlet. In the uh, amateur cup final or whatever it was. So managers, Steve, um, we feared, didn't we, that we'd have to put Roy Hodgson in charge, and no one wants that today. Obviously, the <laughs> F- obviously the FA do. They're like, give him two more years. Um, We're on the right track. Yeah, I'm performing how I want me to perform. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to Glenn Johnson, you know, but much more so. The Rio Ferdinand John Terry incident. Well, it was a real Anton Ferdinand John Terry incident, which we don't need to go into. Yeah, yeah. We're looking at football reasons, you know, as he put it. John Terry has ended up, at the end of his career, he's probably aged better than Rio Ferdinand, right? So at this point in time, John Terry's the better player. At their peaks, and not just the small peak, I'm talking about over the course of their career, Rio Ferdinand is so much better of a player, it's not, it's not even comparable. But at the point where... Uh, John Terry's been accused of uh, racist uh, abuse against Anton Ferdinand. Found not guilty. Probably don't really need to go into the ins and outs of that because it's a bit of a shame. Yeah, yeah. But Roy Hodgson uh, leaves Rio Ferdinand out of the squad, presumably because he don't want to upset John Terry. And I just can't get over that. I mean, you know, if you're looking at football reasons as a way of explaining the way controversial decisions... You can also look at Roy Hodgson's decision to play in South Africa under apartheid for a team in a league where black players were, you know, banned. You know, he explained that away as football reasons, just a job in it. But I mean, there's other jobs, isn't there? There's jobs where you're not supporting a regime mm. that's uh, systemically racist. I mean, arguably, most jobs in football are not in South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to go where the jobs are, and there's there's one there in South Africa, nowhere else. I mean, you know. Since then, he's proved himself, if anything, a man who's more than happy to go anywhere in the world for a job. Speaks five languages now. Has managed in Sweden, Switzerland, Italy, Denmark, United Arab Emirates, Norway, Finland and England. Has managed Switzerland, the United Emirates, Finland and England at international level. So, you know, became cosmopolitan, but a bit too late to uh, make up for a terrible career choice. Old habits die hard. Yeah, I mean, as a manager... He's mo- I think he's done unimpressive jobs more often than he's done impressive jobs. You know, Liverpool was a disaster when he went there long, but it was, absolute, it was an absolute joke, wasn't it? He's a man who aspires to functionality. And the problem yeah, with that right. is, if you aspire to functionality and your team doesn't function, there's nothing to fall back on. Mm. 
Or even if you look at like the like, England at Euro twenty twelve and the World Cup, oh, it's just occurred to me he's going to get actually going to get free tournaments. But you know, it's... well, free free chances to qualify. <laughs> but say like against Italy both times, for example, like England like kind of played all right in both games, but at no point really threatened to win. Like the only hope in that in the one in Euro twenty twelve was to beat them on penalties. You know, it's just like it was just like you say functional at best. Did a good job at Fulham. Like it was quite exciting to watch them get to the uh, UEFA Cup final. But we mustn't forget what that competition is now. Yeah, you know absolutely. it's not. You know you get Tottenham fans. Uh, you know if this club ain't in Europe, it ain't nothing. You know it's an old Bill Nicholson quote. But he was talking about the UEFA Cup of uh, yesteryear. He's not talking about going to play uh, Dynamo Two, Bob. Is he on the Thursday? <laughs> All right, Alan Sugar. <laughs> Carlos Kickerball. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Laurie Sanchez, briefly, might have had a shout. Yeah, I mean... I mean, briefly, at Fulham, he sort of fell apart from him, didn't he? He's, done, he's not done anything much of late, but at Northern Ireland, it was, you really sat up and took notice, didn't you? He took over in January 2004. And they'd gone 1,298 minutes without a goal. And they hadn't won a game in three years. And we're talking, like the, we're talking about the bottom tier of international football. Here. We're yeah, talking like yeah. by September 2006, in qualifying, you know, they beat Spain 3-2. Spain, who qualified for that tournament and then won it. You know, you look at the team that played against Northern Ireland that day. They're all there. You know, yeah, Puyol yeah. and Xavi and Raul. Well, Raul, I guess, was kind of fading by then, but... Still, though. they're all. Like, no, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not an anomaly, is it's it? It's just a stellar lineup. I mean, they beat England one uh, 0 as well in the, one of the qualifiers, which was particularly painful for me. But again, he's not our manager, is he? No, we're fortunate enough to have a man who has as cosmopolitan a CV as Roy Hodgson, but also some genuine claims to greatness mm. and a real on, on another level a legacy a legacy he's left to, to football generally and specifically you'd argue yeah from Greenwich Vic Buckingham played 230 times for Tottenham in the was it 30s and 40s one goal he was the West Brom manager and they almost became the first team to win the, the double Post-war, obviously that would be Tottenham Hotspur in 1961. They uh, won the FA Cup and finished second. And from there, he moves in 1959 to Ajax. There for two seasons, one of which he wins the league of Ajax. And then 64-65, he returns and gives Johan Cruyff a debut. And importantly as well, as well as giving Cruyff a debut, while at... Ajax, and later in his time at Barcelona as well, he creates a template that becomes an important component of what we think of as total football. Mm. He's a pioneer in the sense of having players that are adaptable and creative in any position, in any situation. I mean, you know, it's the other end of the spectrum from Roy Hodgson, isn't it? It's, you know, this is, you know, functionality plus adaptability. So you, you can do a job, but you can also do other jobs, which means you're not going to get caught out in particular situations. Yeah, like you say, Stevie went to Barcelona and they won, and he won the Copa del Rey there. He was involved in Cruyff's move to Barcelona, was he not? Yeah, yeah. Which again, is such an important developmental point for Ajax as a club, Barcelona as a club, Cruyff as a player, you know, football as we know it. Yeah, football in terms of the, the modern game and how it's played. There is a blight on his CV, isn't there? 1964, the uh, corruption scandal, Sheffield Wednesday. Is it? Three players banned, was it? Yeah. I mean, it's not bad, is it, to then go into exile to Ajax and uh, <laughs> just kickstart total football. <laughs> As penance, yeah. I'm going to uh, reinvent football into uh, the beautiful game. Yeah, I think he'd get a performance out of it. Would he pick this team, though? That's the no. question. I mean, <laughs> is he going to swap Sinclair and uh, Laurie Sanchez out for... Uh... I can imagine him now, just with the chalkboard, hovering over it. Going, I'm going Alan Knight. <laughs> <I mean, firm, laughs> a firm base to uh, 
start from. I think he'd he'd like someone like Glenn Johnson, a defender who yeah, right. offers an attack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, the ball-playing abilities of a Rio Ferdinand at the centre of defence. I think he'd love someone like David Rowcastle. Peter Braybrook might uh, get a game, I think. <laughs> so you can win Alice Devine's lovely print. Tweet a link to the episode and use the hashtag SLXI, SL11. And we'll pick a winner at the end of the World Cup. The 11, again, Peter Benetti in goal. Kenny Sansom at left back. Glenn Johnson at right back. Rio Ferdinand and Keith Stevens in the middle defence. Trevor Sinclair on the left. David Rowcastle on the right. Laurie Sanchez and Scott Parker in the middle. And then Egg Kale behind Ian Wright up front. And Vic Buckingham on the sidelines. 122 more episodes on southlondonhardcore.com and iTunes. And if you want to get a football t-shirt, go to massbrawl.spreadshirt.co.uk. Thank you.